eBay Motors es tu socio seguro. Con trabajo, piezas nuevas y mucha pasión, transformaste una carrocería oxidada con 100,000 millas en un vehículo totalmente singular. Juegos de frenos, faros, lo que necesites, eBay Motors lo tiene. Con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, te aseguras que la pieza le quede a tu carro a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Y a estos precios, ¿qué más llantas sino dinero? Mantén vivo ese espíritu de Ride or Die, baby, en eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com Solo para artículos elegibles. Se aplican las acciones dicen más que las palabras. Abre el Pro Access Tailgate disponible de la nueva Ford F-150. Sí, una puerta oscilatoria de fácil acceso para convertir su cama en tu nuevo taller. Conecta tus herramientas al Pro Power Onboard disponible. Ya sea que necesites soldar o cortar madera, con la F-150 puedes. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Pro Access Tailgate disponible en la primavera de 2024. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So, just remember... Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And welcome to this episode of How to Slay. And today we are going to be speaking with a very special guest, Erica Huss. Erica is the co-founder of Blueprint Cleanse. She is a health wellness activist. Is it okay to say activist? Sure. Enthusiast. Enthusiast, <laughs> yes. Advocate, and evangelist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And she's also a successful entrepreneur which I think is so interesting that she and her partner founded Blueprint and then built it and sold it. And she's an investor and they also have their own podcast, which yeah. she co-hosts too, which is fantastic. <laughs> and what I think is really interesting about um, what Erica can bring to us today and will be bring us, bringing to our conversation today is the fact that not only did she build this business, but she was also successful doing a few other things like modeling, <laughs> PR, and as she told me recently, bartending, <laughs> which I didn't even know. So welcome, Erica. Thank it's great you. to have Thank you here. Thank you. It's so nice to see you. You too. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. <laughs> I last saw you when I was five years old. Yes, exactly. Which was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. <laughs> so, so what a fantastic journey you've been on. It really has been. It's been an adventure and a journey, and I'm so grateful every day that I've had all of the experiences, this sum total that you've had. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of experts have said in this golden age of entrepreneurship, this golden age of entrepreneurship, a lot of experts have said, start with what's close to you. Start mm -hmm. with the resources that are right in front of your face if you want to start a business or build a business or even grow your career in corporate. And a lot of times we overlook those resources. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that you did, which I'd love to really unpack and speak about today, is starting a business with one of your best friends. Mm -hmm. 
which some advise and some people also advise against that. It may ruin your friendship. Clearly that hasn't happened. So tell me about how you and Zoe met, um, how you decided to start the business and what some of the celebrations and pitfalls have been along the way. Yeah, I think, um, well, we met now, I think 18 years ago, uh, we were in a different type of beverage business. We were sling, <laughs> slinging drinks at the Hudson Hotel. Um, and we became friends. And, um, you know, it's interesting when, when you position it that way to say, you know, starting a business with your best friend. Actually, I would say fairly that we were not best friends at the time, mm -hmm. which I think actually probably served the relationship because she had, you know, her close group of friends. I had my close group of friends. We knew each right. other from work and we certainly spent a lot of social time together. Um, but we definitely had our own worlds. And I think that that probably contributed to the success mm -hmm. of what became our business, you know, partnership slash wifedom. I mean, it is really, it's a marriage. I have a <laughs> husband a and a wife. I like to joke. Um, you're lucky. But, yeah, I know. I really am. My cup runneth over. Um, so we met uh, and we were working together and that was, you know, bartending was essentially a side hustle for both of us. She was pursuing um, a path in communications and writing and TV and I was doing PR and I hate to say it here, but, you know, my my salary in PR was not uh, was not completely enough to sustain myself on, at least in the early years. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I pursued the, uh, you know, the side hustle and the night job. And um, at the time, Zoe was a raw foodist and nobody really knew, you know, in circa 2001, nobody really knew what raw yeah, food is. Yeah, it's sort of like, was. what is this freaky deaky right, person exactly. or thing or what is she doing? I considered myself, uh, you know, a healthy person. I did yoga before a lot of people were doing yoga and I was mm -hmm. a dancer prior to that. So I think I had always been very invested in my own personal, you know, health and wellness. Health, taking care of your body. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but this is before wellness was really a word and a thing and a lifestyle. Right. This was just, you know, you did, you went to the gym and you ate like yeah. low fat yogurt. Yeah. And it truly was like a fringe, the, the inheritors of the tree huggers, right? Exactly. Like, it yes. Really it was. was very much a marginalized yeah, kind of like, hippy dippy. Right. So like Zoe and I remember Donna Karen. Yes. Was that's early right. into raw. That's right. So um, she's early into a lot of stuff though. Donna Karen has that been. That is true. Yeah. yeah. She had the Zen, uh, the Zen initiative, yes. I think it was mm -hmm. what it was called. Um, and she, she, she drank some of our juice at some point, too. Okay. Not surprised. <laughs> um, so basically, over the course of a couple of years, uh, Zoe sort of became, you know, much more interested and invested in what this whole raw food and juice therapy concept was. Um, she spent some time at um, an institute in Puerto Rico, really just learning about this concept of nutritional healing and, and really healing through food um, from, you know, variety of ailments. And when she came back... She kind of felt like, okay, you know, I had this great opportunity. I got to go spend three weeks in Puerto Rico studying right. under, you know, this incredible um, program. Not everybody has that opportunity, mm -hmm. but you shouldn't have to remove yourself from your life completely just to kind of reap the benefits of fresh food and fresh juice and things that are available widely right. to most people. So the idea was kind of how do I take what I've learned and put it out into the world in a way that feels more, you know, accessible and approachable. Yes. At the time, I was doing PR. 
Um, I was doing a little bit of fashion PR, as you know. Yes. Um, I was primarily interested in um, food and restaurant and hospitality PR. That was kind of where my, you know, my passion lay. Yes. Um, and so the more we talked about this concept that she had, that she had kind of created this juice program and tested it out with um, a couple of different cohorts and gotten some good feedback, uh, the the conversation turned to like, okay, well now, you know, there's a little bit of proof of market here. There's interest in this. How is it actually going to scale? How are we going to actually like take it out there? Right. And or make um, a business of it. Make even, a business out right? of it. I mean, I make think a living. she had created some initial kind of costing um, and, and concepts of, okay, this is what it would cost to make. This is what it would, you know, this is where the margins lie um, and the kind of broad strokes of, of the business plan. And uh, I mean, it was one one day that that, um, you know, there was a little bit of a little bit of traction being gained from the conversations with these cohorts of women and Time Out New York, which in 2006 was kind of a big deal. Time yes. Out New York, you know, yeah, rings your bell. And they wanted to write a piece and they said, OK, we need a press release. And she came to me and said, what's a press release? <laughs> I think I need one. And I said, OK, I think, you know, I think I can help you. I think I can help I can you. After that conversation, it was like, okay, we really do have complementary skill sets, right? Yes. And it's, you know, there are things that you enjoy doing and are really good at, and some of those are overlapping with me. And then I have this other area here, and, you know, I was very much a communications-focused person, and yes. whether it was writing or, you know, creating scripts or doing some of the stuff that you and I did together. Yes. Uh, so it really made sense, and I think that was kind of the first indication of, you know, a strong partnership really comes from... When you recognize your skills, but you also recognize your challenges and you can see them in someone else. Yes. Um, and it becomes like sort of a jigsaw puzzle that's fitting together. The perfect analogy. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, on the eve of 2007, we said, OK, we're going to take this out and actually, you know, turn the lights on and, and really make a go of this. Um, through a couple of strategic relationships, we were able to get into a kitchen for you know, no overhead costs, basically, and sort of use the little corner space. It was a catering kitchen. Right. And they said, OK, we're going to do our catering business here. You guys go do your juice project in the corner and let us know how Why it goes. did they let you do that? Or did you pay them but something really small? Um, there may have been a personal relationship involved okay. there. You don't need to say <laughs> okay. any more on that. Right. Um, and, you know, so we started by doing everything ourselves, top to bottom, every aspect of the business we touched. And um, little by little, you know, we had five friends that wanted to participate the first week and then the next week there were 10 because a couple of our friends had told somebody that we didn't mouth. know it was word of mouth in wow. the purest way and this was mind you very 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 pre-social media so there was no yes. such thing like facebook was where you went to like find the guy that you made out with in high school okay but that was it <laughs> so it was very organic it was very grassroots and there was this moment um i mean again this is early 2007 mm -hmm. where I kind of took a step back. I had a full-time job. So you still, you started, but you still But I still had my full-time job. How about Zoe? Uh, she had, she she was not working full-time in a mm -hmm. corporate environment in the way that I was. Okay. So it but was a slightly different maybe. decision yeah. process for okay. her. But for me, you know, there was a moment of, I like what I'm doing in, in PR, but I don't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily feel it in my bones mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily want to eat, breathe and sleep this work that I do right. because I can only get so far in terms of being invested in the types of clients and projects that I'm working on. 
And then here's this opportunity where everything about it just makes sense to me, right? Like I'm, mm. I'm somebody who's interested in health and wellness um, and, and learning more and using my own self as an experiment to see how I feel and how I feel differently when I only drink juice for three days versus, you know, eat my normal diet. And there was just a moment for me where it felt like this doesn't feel like a risk. This just feels like the thing that I need to do mm, next. Wow. Okay. And that was a big moment. And certainly explaining to my parents what I was about to do and quit my job. <laughs> that was another thing. <laughs> yeah. That was when But it, for you, it just really felt right. It felt it right. It didn't feel it, like a huge risk. Did it feel like a little risk? It didn't only because, I mean, the stakes at that time were pretty low, I suppose. And so I saw the earning potential that existed in this company should it be successful right. and i saw the earning potential that i had in my job which right. was not significant and right. i didn't necessarily see myself going down the path of working in a corporate environment like i kind of Climbing always knew i knew that that was not the right setting for me i knew that you know I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with authority, but I definitely <laughs> felt like, you know, there are ways that I like to work that are not necessarily um, compatible with what this environment right, is. Right, right. There are clothes that I like to wear that yeah. are not necessarily acceptable. Compatible, yeah, right. and that's... so so the problem that you have with authority, you. Are... <laughs> <laughs> I like to make my I'm own kidding. rules, but you know, I did, right, and I did read somewhere about people who get fired frequently. I, I think people reference like Steve Jobs too mm -hmm. sometimes just to know, just, just so I can say I'm saying a good thing. Yeah. People, right? um, like that is one indicator that perhaps you are supposed to be working for yourself in a really positive yes. sense. And I will say for the record, I was never fired. No, I'm not suggesting you I were. <laughs> um, but I did always feel like as soon as I would kind of settle into another desk job, just something didn't feel right. It didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like I could see yes. the long-term potential. Um, and interestingly, thinking about it years later, both of my parents were actually, they worked for themselves and it, oh, they weren't entrepreneurs gosh. in the right. sense of like making a, building a company, but they were both very much autonomous in yes. the work that they did. And so I come by it honestly. So yeah, right. And probably deeply felt. Yes. Uh, yes. And okay. I think also they may have set an example without even intentionally doing so that, you know, it's okay to make a decision to kind of do your, do the thing that feels right for you yes. and put yourself in the environment yeah. that feels like you can thrive. Yes. And, you know, you said both your parents and one of the things um, we have, you know, we've spoken to, and when we look around, we hear about um, women in business and women in finance and thinking about like early on, we're not necessarily encouraged or right. seeing the role models right. to either A, take control of our finances or B, be in business for ourselves, yep. whereas males are in a very different way. That's right. And, that, and my mom, yeah, yeah I mean, I she had two business you. partners that were women. They worked in advertising mm -hmm. in, you know, in the 70s and 80s in New yes. York. Like, what's cooler than wow, that? Right? nothing, really. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was that was kind of our early start with with Blueprint was just okay. saying, OK, let's let's switch on the lights and, and make this and thing go, go and see where it goes. At what point did you so you're in Blueprint, you're you know, filling juice bottles as fast as you can. <laughs> At what point did the returns now, not your inner feeling, but the outward indicators say, wait a minute, we're 
onto something here. It happened early. Um, I think the one thing that we uh, didn't necessarily anticipate um, in terms of velocity and, and, and growth was we knew people were going to like the program. We felt very confident in what we were putting out there and offering. Um, we didn't anticipate the, the level of return business uh, quite as quickly. So we felt like, you know, people will do this maybe as a tool. They'll do it like once every few months, once every three months, once a season was kind of what we recommended. And we were seeing people come back week over week and wow. not, you know, not in an unhealthy way, not people right. saying like, I never want to eat solids again. It was more right. people saying, OK, I did my five day cleanse. I feel fantastic. Yes. So now I want to have like one day of juice every week, or I'm going to buy one day's worth and spread it out over a few days and really just incorporate the juice into my lifestyle right. um, and create more of that, you know, that balance, which again was, you know, that was how we used it, but we didn't necessarily anticipate that that was how Others the mass audience it. was going to yes. receive it. So we were surprised pleasantly to see that happen very early. And I think the like other a year in, or I would say less two. than that. I, wow. I, I would say that even really in the first, early. you know, four or five months, we were seeing people kind of come back on the, the list of names um, much more frequently than than expected. And they were also, you know, one woman would do it and then she would come back and she would tell her friends and then five of her friends would be on board, you know, two weeks later. And it's what um, every business dreams of, it, right? That like really word was. of mouth. Yes. And it was so powerful. Customers satisfied. I think particularly in the food business and the health and wellness business, the word of mouth is is invaluable because it's not um, something that you can visually see and decide if you want to try it. You really have to hear from someone who has said, I didn't eat solid food for five days yes. and I live to tell about it and I actually feel better than I when I started. Good. So tell us briefly, Erica, what the cleanses. Broadly yeah. speaking, we all know now yeah. you were pioneers. We were. In we it. were. Um, and so we kind of broadly all know now, but for the blueprint cleanse at that time, what was yeah. it exactly? So that's what we like to say. We didn't invent green juice, but we certainly put it out in the world in yes. a different way. And the idea was really you're taking six bottles of juice every day. It's all fresh pressed. It's cold pressed um, fruits and vegetables in varying combinations and recipes for a little bit of variety over the course of the day. The idea is basically you consume only this juice and a lot of water to kind of flush out your system for a set period of days so that you give your body a chance to kind of take a break from all the digestive energy that it expends um, when you're eating solid foods. It gives your system a rest and it allows you to kind of just reset. And it's, it, I mean, it could not be simpler in terms mm -hmm. of concept. The thing that we did that was slightly different was up until that time, if you were going to do that, you either had to actually make the juice yourself because the shelf life is so short that you actually, you need to consume the juice as soon as you make it in a conventional juicer. Right. We took that up a notch with a, a press juice, a press juicer. So essentially, instead of getting something really kind of thick and chunky and pulpy, you were actually um, extracting only the liquid and straining out all of the solids. Um, and the other thing that we did was we really made it convenient and we packaged up all the juice, which now had a slightly longer shelf life because of the process. Right. We put it in a little cooler bag with a cute little logo and it went from being something that felt like, you know, you would see in like the quote unquote old school, like health food store with the lady with the long gray braid <laughs> right. into a little chic tote bag that actually would be totally okay to like see on the subway and, yes. you know, carry around and you didn't feel so the way it was delivered too, yes, to the, exactly. To the so, and it was delivered to was your different. door. Right. Um, 
So yeah, again, we really just, we took something that already exists and in the simplest, you know, I, this word has been so overused, but we really did disrupt the actual concept of juice in a bottle. Yes. And congratulations Thank too. You. And, and many people are thankful. Yes, I, I think so. At some point along the way, you also realize that we are doing something bigger than providing juice and we want to brand ourselves that way too. So tell us a little bit about that journey. To yeah, wellness. so that was we we never really thought of ourselves as a product. We thought of ourselves as a service company. And I think some of that certainly um, harkens back to our days actually working in the service industry in a bar, um, providing a different kind of beverage, like kind of I say. <laughs> um, but it really had to do with educating the consumer and making the customer actually feel like they were getting information from a trusted source. And that started also incredibly organically. This was the first, you know, the first round of people that were drinking the juice. We had a little kind of like sheet of instructions that would come in in the bag. And I mean, it's not that it's not rocket science. It's, you know, drink this every couple of hours. <laughs> but the, there was a, a moment, there was a week where, you know, I had a bunch of friends and family that were also participating. So I started out with an email and I sent an email that just said, hey, this is your first day. Here's what you might like to know before you go into it. Here are some tips on how to prepare. Here are some tips on how to transition out. And it became actually the foundation for what I'm pretty sure is still the email that they may send out now right. if you're doing a blueprint cleanse. Bought it. Yeah. That um and it was just, it was, you know, there may have been some profanity in there. There may have been some like bad <laughs> puns and some jokes. The idea was really to put people at ease and again to really educate people on what they were doing to eliminate the fear factor. And to really be very clear about what your goal is here, what we hope you gain from this, and, you know, what to look for along the way. Yes. And I think that that's a really important part of any, certainly any new brand, but absolutely any brand in a category that has not fully grown into fruition yet is the education piece is so critical. And yes. delivering the information, you have to know your audience, you have to understand how they absorb information. Yeah. Now, your audience, mostly women, all women? It was primarily women. Mm -hmm. um, there were certainly a nice cohort of men that either were like, you know, partners of the women who mm -hmm. were the early adopters. But also there were some office groups that we, I mean, again, another one of these little happy surprises. We were sending, you know, batches of, of juice to these groups of, of co-workers in like Goldman Sachs or wherever else that would all participate together because certainly when you're not eating wow. solid food over the course of a workday, it's nice to know that someone else is in the <laughs> trenches with you. Not, yes. But then we were getting all these groups of guys and we found out from like one of their assistants that they were doing these like weight loss contests oh. and like <laughs> they would go for a week or they would see, you know, who could go the longest just on juice. And so, and they were, you know, wow. they were an entity unto themselves. There yes. were no women participating in those groups. Wow. So. so companies started in terms of human resources with two of you mm -hmm. to how many at its um, height? At, well, at its height, when we sold the business, there were 120 employees. And wow. Yeah. that wow. was And that was so primarily whole, people working in the kitchen. Yeah. So the management leadership piece. Yeah. That team was that. between, I would say, 12 and 18 on a given, uh, you know, at, at a given time. Yes. Um, but yeah, the first person we brought on was, um, he was a friend who we just, we actually just needed extra support, <laughs> right. right? So early days of the business, you wear so many different hats. Um, as an entrepreneur, you wear a ton of hats. And when you're somebody who comes in on the ground level, you also have to be able to cover a lot of bases. And it, it's sort of, 
the roles really kind of defined themselves. It, it all yes. kind of grew very naturally into seeing where people were. He was highly organized and he was oh, great at just, yeah, for keep early it, business. Exactly. Yeah. And we were all of a sudden we said, okay, you're our office manager. Fast forward to now he's done, I mean, and we're still in touch with him to this day. He's a lovely human being who has done extensive training in the human resources area. And he now is like, a business coach and a human resources expert. And I like to think that that all started from wow. like answering phones at Blueprint. <laughs> That's wonderful, yeah. right? And you think that. Uh, so when you decided to sell, were you approached or you and Zoe sat down and said, we think it's time we are we, exhausted, yeah. were you? I think We weren't were. exhausted. We okay. actually, we had big Because you were drinking Blueprint. We were, yes, <laughs> with a little bit of vodka. Um, <laughs> We uh, we always felt this is not going to be, you know, just a mom and pop operation. We really do see the scalability of this business. Um, it was, you know, healthy margins. We were able to really chase and and research and, and be kind of on the cutting edge of the technologies that allowed us to um, have an extended shelf life, for example, which allowed us to go into retail oh. in a larger okay. way. So the first phone call we got that sort of said, okay, it might be time to think much bigger was from Whole Foods. And Whole Foods doesn't mm. place outgoing calls. Whole Foods <laughs> accepts incoming calls. But Whole Foods <laughs> called us and they said, why are all these moms in Tribeca coming and they're at, like demanding that we have your juice on our wow. shelves? We said, oh okay. Oh my God, it doesn't get better than this. No, it right? really doesn't. So we we did our work and we figured out everything that we needed to know in order to enter from direct-to-consumer into retail. Um, and that was the end of 2010. And about six months later, Zoe and I went out to lunch one day. We came back and um, there was a message on the voicemail from Howard Schultz who oh you might God. have heard of. Oh, uh, who's that again? We see. <laughs> yeah. Um, who at the time was still very actively involved in Starbucks. And uh, he left us this message that said, um, just wanted to call and say, congratulations on your business. Think what, what you're doing are really is really interesting. Are you kidding me? Would love to sit down and talk to you sometime. And what we, did you what was your reaction? Both of us, I'm not exaggerating. Yes. We fell down on the floor in the office and we hit replay like seven <laughs> times. We just listened to that message over and over again. Like, oh my God. It was unbelievable. And, and it, at the seventh time that you listened to it, did you go like hoax? <laughs> no, you know what? That's interesting. We never actually, we, we bought it. We bought it from, from the first, from the first yeah, listen. Yeah, the first time you heard it was just like, and we thought, you know, we had never, we never took on any money. So we had a... Glad you mentioned that. So to ask you specifically, I was thinking about going from wholesale to retail, never took on any money? We never took on okay. investment. We, I mean, we were, it was a quite a nice business model in that while we were still direct to consumer, everything was made to order. So we never... Okay were producing anything that we hadn't already sold. Right. Right. And if you can create a business that has a model like that, I would strongly suggest that <laughs> okay. because um, it, it helps you stay cash positive for as long right. as possible. Okay. When we went into and retail. And retain, therefore, control ownership. Exactly. Exactly. When we went into retail, um, certainly we were operating at a much larger scale. So at that point, you know, we were talking about inventory and storing raw material. But we, the the direct-to-consumer channel of the business was so strong by that point mm -hmm. because we had been fully, uh, it was three full years, okay. uh, four full years at that point, that we were able to kind of fund um, some of the inventory needs with the cash that we had from the direct-to-consumer business. Any short-term bank loans? No. No good line of credit? No. Wow. Oh, my God. 
We had a small, uh, we did a little small round of friends and family mm -hmm. uh, when we wanted to expand our production facility. Okay. And that was paid back with nice interest very quickly. Wow. Okay. Um, so we had never taken on any partnership of any kind. We knew that we were not going to sustain like that forever, but we really mm -hmm. felt like for as long as we can afford to run this business just ourselves without mm -hmm. giving up any equity, we're going we to would. do that. Okay. So we, Whole Foods happens. and this So Whole Foods happens. And then Howard Schultz Howard calls. Howard Schultz calls and we say, okay, so now we've been put in play whether we like it or not because we always sort of said – we're not going to be sitting in this little, you know, sandbox by ourselves for very long. There's a low barrier to entry with, yes, with this okay. business. Oh, that was really smart. How did, how did you ladies get so smart so fast <laughs> about business? <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is instinctual and a lot it of it was trial and error. And okay. a lot of it was, you know, we, we had some, you know, gaffes early on with mm -hmm. where are we going to focus our energy in terms of shipping? Because okay. we went from being a local business to nationwide shipping and, you know, there were some cost challenges with shipping a cold product cross country okay. and figuring out how to try to offset the cost for the customer so that they weren't absorbing a ton of, you know, okay. shipping costs, for example. But it, a lot of it was like, okay, we're small enough that we can still be nimble. And if we have to undo a decision that we made because it's not working, we can still do that. Right. And I think, again, when you're in a small, when you're in an early stage of your business, you really have to be, you have to be able to be nimble. And just because one idea seems like it works on paper, when you try it out and it doesn't work, it's totally okay to to wind it back. Oh, right. um, you. But again, I think you have to have that sort of 360 degree perspective and make sure. And it, it, sometimes there's ego that comes into play. I'm thankful every day that that was just never an issue between me and Zoe or right. with us collectively. We were very well aware that, you know, we don't know everything. We're going to try what we can. We're going to throw stuff at the wall and see right. what sticks and um, feel confident in being able to walk things back if they're not working. Okay. So um, we kind of felt like, you know, as long as we can possibly stay, you know, 100% owners mm -hmm. of this business, we are going to. But when the jig is up and when it becomes apparent that there right. are other players coming they're into coming the field, in. we're going to have to something. move quickly. Yeah. Okay. So Howard Schultz called. Um, we yeah. spent some time in Seattle. We had dinner at his house. We did did have... he send a private plane for you? You know what, Constance? He did not. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a very he flew very, American Airlines. Yeah, we to Seattle. did. We did. Um, it was we we it was a nice little courtship. It lasted for a couple of months. We yes. met a bunch of members of his team. Okay. They were all really lovely people. The conversation didn't end up they, – they wanted to get into the juice business and they thought that we were going to be, be the one. We were going to be the ones to do that. How did he hear about Blueprint? Was it was it from Donna? <laughs> no, but that's a great question. Right? It was, they're very good friends. She actually did – she was on the – you know what? It actually might have been now that you say that. Mm -hmm. It very well could have been because she was on our, our early client lists that oh, – I mean, and we, okay. you know, we looked yes. <laughs> through every single one. Always looking at names, right. you know, Googling anybody. Yeah, yes. So it's very possible. Mm -hmm. um, but we, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, he's obviously, he's a mind, he's a man with an innovative mind and he's always looking for the next the thing. Next thing. And Juice at that time, you know, this is now 2011, it was certainly, um, there was a ton of press at that point. And we were certainly making, you know, making waves as the pioneers mm -hmm. of this category. Right. 
So that conversation didn't necessarily, um, I mean, it ended fine. It was, we sort of agreed to disagree because the deal and the conversation around it uh, just wasn't, it wasn't the right fit. Okay. So we said, we're going to go our way, you go yours. Okay. He ended up acquiring Evolution, which mm-hmm. is now the juice that you see right. in Starbucks. Um, and we felt at that point, okay, now that we know who our competition is, um, we're going to, yeah, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to do this and put pedal to the metal. Um, and so we, we felt like, you know, we are still very entrenched in the running of this business day to day and fundraising is an enormous time suck. It is a yeah. huge amount of time and energy. So we did the only thing I think we could have done in that state, which was to engage a, a banker, um, an investment mm-hmm. banker. Yeah. There are plenty of companies who have, you know, a solid financial group within the company already. We did not. Yeah, you didn't. Um, and so we felt like we can't afford to take our heads out of the game in order just to figure out where we're going to find a partner. So I'm very thankful. We, we loved the team that we worked with. Um, and over the course of the next like eight months, we entertain a handful of conversations. Mm-hmm. Some were with investors for minority stake. Some were with investors for majority. Okay. There were all sorts of different structures that we looked at. And who was your banker? Um, the, at the time, it was, um, well, Janica Lane was kind of our lead. And she okay. is literally like the woman to know if you are in the food uh, CPG space. Yes. Um, PCG was the company she's with. She's now at Piper Jaffray. Okay. Um, and she was amazing. And we also loved that she was a woman. Yes. And we felt like this was a great, you know, it was a great dynamic. Yes. And she had a terrific team. And they were not all women, but there were a handful of women yes. um, kind of in this effort together, which we loved. And did you do it in stages? Did you sell a piece of the business first? We you went straight to acquisition. Okay. And it wasn't, again, that wasn't necessarily by design. Yeah, we did. Okay. So uh, the end of 2012, Haines Celestial was the kind of corporate, um, you know, this natural foods conglomerate that we had been speaking with. They had a huge portfolio of natural food, foods brands. And yeah. we felt like, you know, in terms of vision and in terms of the overall structure of the deal, right. this was the right conversation. Yeah. So before, there are two um, subject areas that I wanted us to go into a bit deeper. Um, one is, let's talk a bit about that, a bit more about being in business, you know, with a friend, being in business, you know, with a partner. And and then I want to talk a bit more about post-sale, mm-hmm. what you've been doing recently and what that looked like. So with the partner, what have been some of the hurdles, which perhaps you wouldn't have had to face if you were not in business with a partner and a, and a partner who you're friendly with? Yeah, um, I think that, I think our, our relationship actually in terms of partnerships is somewhat atypical just based Mm -hmm. on, you know, conversations we've had with other partnerships. Um, We, uh, goes back to what I said earlier, you know, I think we were always very in tune with these are, you know, this is, this is my dance space. This is your dance space. Okay. So that helps. We were not, uh, there was a lot of overlap with us. There was not, you know, very completely distinct areas of the business that the other one didn't touch. It was very collaborative, which I think served us well. Okay. Um, I think if you want to look at it from a hurdles point of view, um, having a partner means that there's somebody to disagree with you. Right. But I actually feel like that is a benefit. Because yeah. having somebody to disagree means you got to take a step back and look at the problem and see, okay, you know, whose point of view is kind of m- more founded here or where where is the sort of the current going to take us. But I also feel, again, we were so fortunate in that pretty much every 
critical decision that we had to make, right. we were on the same page. There was wow. never really a tug of war of like, no, I'm so seeing it, it this way. Fortunate. It was yes. very fortunate. Um, okay. I mean, I think, again, that's why, that's why she's my wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what are some of the, the positives, the What's great about the positives, having I think, your friend are, as a partner? You always know that there is somebody kind of in your boat. Um, and I think that that has served us in business. I think that has served us even in life post-business, which, you know, we can talk about for sure. For sure. But I think it's always, I just, I couldn't imagine doing any of what we did on my own because I felt like I loved having the sounding board. I loved having the kind of collaborative energy of, you know, just one idea begets the next. And when you mm -hmm. constantly have that conversation that is just layer upon layer, um, it, I just feel like it only brings positive results. I have so much respect for people who create businesses all on their own because I just don't think I could do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean- I, I think it's pretty rare, you know, really on your own. I think the perhaps part of the difference is people who create businesses, but it's not really with a friend, yeah, per se. I think that's right. And again, I think that, you know, if it's your best friend and it's the person that you go to for everything always, there's probably a potential risk there because mm -hmm. that means that anytime you do have, you know, mm -hmm. an issue, yeah. then th whether it's in business or personal, that's going to overlap and yeah. it's going to impact the other side of your that's relationship. That's an important difference. Yeah. That you're and underlining. I and I think mm -hmm. for us, again, like we had our social time together. We certainly have plenty of friends that, you know, they're mutual. Th are mutual okay. and that right. cross over. But we also, you know, were able to and still do maintain, you know, independent lives of each other. And so when we come back together, whether it's to talk about business or to talk about personal, there's still a sense of like, you know, we're still two complete entities in our in our in ourselves that are then actually just working collaboratively. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So post sale, post, -sale. <laughs> post blueprint, you you're an investor. You have the podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about your life now in terms of what your goals are, mm -hmm. and and after achieving so much. Well, yes, it's I mean, it's it's an interesting question, because after achieving so much, um, I think that there is a certain there's there's a certain amount of pressure, whether it's applied mm. from external forces or just really? self induced. Yeah, sure. To say like, well, OK, so now the world has this expectation of <laughs> me and of us and whatever we do next better be, you know, better knock it out of the park. Yes. And that's that that has been, you know, a challenging sort of territory to navigate. And again, that's why I say I'm so thankful to have somebody in that boat with me because, you know, people see a, a track record of success. And I think either they assume or we assume that they assume right. that the next thing has to be even bigger and better. Yes. Um, we have, uh, since we left, we left in 2014. We have both gone on to do some advisory work for other companies that we really believe yes, in and are excited about, um, which I'm you know, thrilled to do. Is it in the same space or mm -hmm. totally different? Okay. It's in the same space because mm -hmm. honestly, you know, it, it's your expertise. It's, it's our expertise. expertise. It's also our lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like, of course, I mean, I'm still interested in what's new in things that I can eat and classes that I can take and movements mm -hmm. that I can try because that's how I live my life. Right. So if there's, you know, a very cool wellness company that 
that I feel, you know, is there's a good conversation to be had for how I can lend my, you know, support and my expertise, then of course, um, you know, I'm open to yeah. that conversation, right. assuming bandwidth is, is available. <laughs> right. Bandwidth is bandwidth. a factor. <laughs> it's definitely a factor. Yes. And again, you got to manage that. You do. Right? And that's yeah. another great thing I think about, you know, having a partner, um, mm -hmm. going back to your earlier question is when bandwidth becomes a challenge, it is nice to know that there's that sort of like fail safe of, you know mm -hmm. what, you can't do this today. Like I got you. Backs you up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've had some um, advisory projects, and we've both done um, investments in other businesses in this in this wellness um, CPG space. And then about a year and a half ago, you know, we both felt that we still wanted to kind of keep the band together. We love working together. We love that kind of collaborative dynamic that that right. comes with it. And we weren't necessarily at that point ready to get back into the product game, right. um, which we're feeling like we are now. Okay. Um, but at the time, we felt like, look, you know, this wellness landscape has just exploded in the last, you know, over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it's kind of, it's a conversation that we helped to start. Right. Um, the concept mm -hmm. of wellness and the world that it, it it is now is very different than it was 10, 12 Absolutely. years ago. It's its, its yes. own pillar exactly. of our society now. I think people understand two things in my view. One is that wellness comes from a lot of holistic areas of our life as opposed to just a pill or some sort of medical intervention yes, completely yes and then number two taking care of ourselves like taking ownership yes i think is also driving it yes and i mean everything you know everything you hear now about self-care self-care that's not just somebody trying to sell you a pill or yes. sometimes it is <laughs> but it's real i mean we see we've learned that you know the toll that stress or lack of sleep or poor diet can really have on our health and there's no like that has to be the first priority. Yes. So I'm honored and, you know, proud to be part of that industry. Um, and we felt like, you know, instead of kind of going back with a new product and a new service right now, let's kind of zoom out a little bit and just have a conversation about this whole world and try to sort of democratize the conversation around wellness. Because mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the upside of it is there's so much information out there and people are really gaining new tools to help themselves feel better. Right. I think the dark side of it is that it tends to get sometimes a little preachy, a little judgy, right. a little kind of weller than thou. Like if you're not doing these 20 things every morning yes. before yoga headstands, yes, then you're you, going down. That's right. And I think that there is like this wellness sort of shaming that can happen with mm. people. And I don't like to see that because yes. I don't like anybody feeling like, oh, that's a world that I can't participate in right. because I don't already know the 20 I don't things. do that. What are the pillars? Because you do keep abreast of the landscape and you worked you know, in this area doing a product which promotes wellness too. What are the pillars of wellness that are um, so important in your view, particularly to someone who is in a career, trying to build a career? You you may be juggling balls. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I think especially in that case, first and foremost, is that concept of self-care. And whatever that means to you, it could be different. If the only thing you can do is clean up your diet because you don't have time to exercise and you don't necessarily have a sleep schedule that accommodates, you know, the proper eight hours or whatever it's going to be, then focus on, you know, just cleaning up your diet and, and eliminating anything that comes in a box and eliminating what is processed and what's not whole. If you're somebody who, you know, all you love in life is like cheeseburgers and martinis, 
but you have time in your schedule to actually like get out and move your body, then that has to be your first. I mean, mm. I think all of these pillars are of equal importance. It's yes. really more how you kind of create that equation for yourself. So, I mean, it's it's sleep, it's diet, it's exercise, it's um, it's mindfulness. Certainly, it's taking that time out and really having a moment to just kind of breathe. And I think you know, mental health and and taking care of your of your brain and of your psyche and of your emotional state is something that can't be emphasized enough. And I think it's often overlooked because people, I think there's a stigma around mental health and it suggests that, you know, if you're not, if you're not completely, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling complete and, and focused and positive all the time, then there must be something wrong with you. Right. And that's so inaccurate. And that's such a right. disservice to anybody who feels like they're on a spectrum of, you know, moods and, mm -hmm general well-being right so. yeah that that's some um, really powerful thank you for that the you said earlier you know which I thought was interesting when I was suggesting that you were working so hard you're exhausted you know and so of course you know let's sell the business and you said no no you weren't exhausted uh, how did you bring that balance and to your work and building the business um with Zoe and is there something of a myth that sort of burnishes the myth and the heroism, you know, it goes right alongside that sole male um, white person who started a business? Um, is that a myth of you, you must be like working yourself into a frazzle to build a business? Um, I mean, or, I guess... Or it's actually true. <laughs> well, I, I think it's true, but I guess I would hope to put a, a slightly less... Um, sort of bleak spin on it. I mean, for me, I, again, I think I was fortunate in that I was doing something that I cared about so deeply that it was, sure, it was sometimes disruptive to kind of be, you know, checking in with work when I was like out at a Broadway play, for example. <laughs> like I remember one horrible night where you I You were that person. I was that person. Moment. I was, and that sucked. It was like that Devil Wears Prada right. moment, um, which, you know, I think that moment probably does exist in the trajectory for anybody who's like super invested in their business. But you hope to be able to curtail it and you hope that, um, that that's just a fleeting moment. If that, if that, becomes the dynamic that is a constant, I think that's dangerous. And I think that um, it's certainly not, it doesn't have to be that way, I guess is what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. yes, not, I think you're, it, you're saying, if I understand you correctly, it doesn't have to be that way for the entirety or the duration that's right. of your business building. That's right. I think that you do have to there. find ways to alleviate it, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, learning how to outsource, learning how to you know, learning how to, um, to, to, again, collaborate, whether it's with a partner or just learning how to delegate. I mean, and I think that's something that entrepreneurs struggle with is you want to constantly be in control of every decision always. And I think that you have to be able to take a step back and understand which decisions can only be made by you and which decisions or practices or, or, um, activities you can ultimately trust someone else to handle because if you can't trust a team, then you're you're not getting anywhere. You you really do have to actually be able to empower the people that you've brought in to the organization to do the work that once upon a time only you could do. Yes. What Erica would you say is the most important thing you learned about wellness of the body and mind from immersing yourself? You know, it actually being a, a part of your 
life career business? I mean, I think the metaphor probably is, is it is a metaphor. And the answer to the question is a metaphor. Yeah. What I learned about wellness is the same thing I learned about business, which is you just have to be very honest with your, um, your, your boundaries, I think. And you have to be respectful of the boundaries of what you can tolerate. So whether it's in business or whether it's actually, you know, your physical system, you have to know that just because that's working for, you know, your friend over there, it's not working for you. Nothing is prescriptive. Nothing is just one size fits all. Yeah. That speaks to me because I am really good at saying, you know what? I do need a mental health day. Mm -hmm. Like I'm. And you you have to be honest about that. Yes. And it might have been that I've been working you know, or operating on like four hours sleep for three days. And then I know it's, it's real your boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe different to mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, why was blueprint such a success? It was fast. It was big. It was was fast. It was big. It was different. Um, I mean, again, it was, it, it created a category, but I think it was that we, that we really did try to, um, and I think achieve, we, we successfully achieved bringing this concept that was once very niche to a mass audience and it made it accessible and it made it, you know, green juice for all. And everybody can take something from this, even if it's something different. Um, and I think that we, and it was very, we did it very authentically. And I, don't say that. I don't like that word either because I think it's overused and I think mm-hmm. it's bastardized. But and we, we don't always know what it means. And right? we don't always know what it means. <laughs> right. But I think we were really very true to, like we were super straightforward with mm-hmm. you know the way we communicated with the product that we had, even you know the packaging itself, like transparency. The bottle was literally transparent, so all you saw was the ingredients. And I think that that was. You know, that was how we tried to, to to lead the business, I think, internally also in the company. I mean, we were always very upfront with our team. We really tried to foster an environment of, you know, everybody is at the table and welcome to participate and collaborate and make suggestions. This was definitely not, you know, some sort of like autocratic like regime. This was mm-hmm. very much like let's all participate here. And I mean, if I could go out on a limb and say I think we're trying to do the same thing with this podcast, which is. This is, should be wellness for all. This should be like we're taking this information and we're trying to break it down so that it's simple and available to everybody. And it's not about, you know, some sort of elite 1% of people who can like buy a, you know, $50 jade egg or whatever. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Okay. I'm intrigued. <laughs> $50 jade egg, but we're going to end it there. <laughs> Erica, oh, so oh. I can, hey, I can indulge my yeah, intrigue about the $50 jade egg. I don't even know if it's $50, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, the jade I, egg, do tell. Well, I'm just saying there is an, there's sort of an elite quality to yes. some of what's happening in the wellness space right now. And um, I think that, you know, there are products that are being sold that aren't necessarily um, beneficial so much as there's kind of like a woo-woo halo around them for <laughs> right. you to have some sort of currency to say like, oh, I've done this thing with this piece of jade that is, you know, somewhere up in my nether regions. And right. <laughs> we don't need to get into it. But um, we really... But I think we get it. For those of us yeah. who haven't heard of it, yeah, um, yeah it, I think we get it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think that, um, again, just trying to 
just trying to, you know, bring um, whether it's the product or the conversation or the concept to a mass audience so that it feels it doesn't feel exclusive and it doesn't feel it feels much more like a community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, with with wellness in particular, there's a range of products, there's a range of Mm -hmm. topics, there's a range of of information and, and ways in which you can use it. And we really are hoping that people um, feel that they can be empowered with the right information so that they can make better choices because ultimately this is really about taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. and longevity and aging better and living you know living longer but well not just living to a hundred but living right. to a hundred with real vibrance so it's interesting some of the things that you listed as being pillars of taking care of ourselves as you said are sort of basic natural things that we should be doing and have heard about, you know, almost the things that your, your grandparents would have told. That's right. right? Like yeah. And it seems like we are sort of coming full circle to understanding that, yes, you know what, it's actually some of the simpler things we, we actually had mm-hmm. come to poo-poo that are really very helpful and key to yeah. our health. I think that's correct. I mean, I think that there's certainly in food, there's this concept of, you know, eating like our ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. And whether it's, you know, there's a huge um, explosion of of interest in bone broth, for example. And that's something that, you know, they've basically been making since caveman days. And it's very simple, but it's the idea of kind of leaching the nutrients out Mm -hmm. of the bones of, of, you know. And cheap, right? Part of the reason you'd use the bones because you didn't want to waste our our great, great grandparents. And there's tremendous value, nutritional benefit from actually doing that on top of the fact that it's very, you know, it's cost effective. Um, And I think, you know, some of the other diet, I mean, whether it's a trend or something that's going to be here for quite some time, there's this this uh, sort of return to just really what is whole and what's natural, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, you see programs like Whole30 or you see, you know, concepts with juice or paleo diets. It's all about simplicity. It's all about pure ingredients. It's about kind of taking things out of the package and keeping it simple. I think we're seeing that, you know, with environmental efforts as well. Like we're trying to reduce our use of plastic because it's so toxic, both to our bodies and to the environment. And we really Mm -hmm. just, there are, I mean, I'm so happy that this straw ban has finally happened. It has happened. Single use plastics that are kind of falling by the wayside. So I do, to your point, I think there is kind of this full circle of, you know, let's bring it back to what was simple and what our ancestors did. I don't, I mean, can you say the same thing in style? (laughs) Well, yes, we can actually say the same thing in style. There's definitely a huge um, movement afoot for sustainability, Mm -hmm. um, which includes localization, customization Mm -hmm. of clothing. So absolutely. And as you know, with the fabrics too, I mean, the, the fashion industry uses quite a bit of Mm -hmm. non-degradable materials, both in the clothing that's made as well as in the processes and creates a huge amount of pollution. Um, This all for another podcast. (laughs) No, but it's fascinating. But yes, but it's all of a piece. And I do see like when you mention the foods too, the, the packaging, you know, this whole idea of we have no idea, you know, we didn't pay attention to it. Um, how much pollution we're creating just with packaging, yeah. whether it's a food, of clothing, mm-hmm. you know, at the dry cleaner, buying Ugh. 
you know, a lot of it, even buying even just the, the receipt item, you get in the store, yeah, and the bag that it comes and in, the bag and the package that, that it comes right. in, right? Yeah, and plastics having such, you know, they're so dangerous, yep. you know, in terms of um, the bio system. And you know, what are we going to do about it? I mean, we just didn't really focus on that. No, like we just keep creating so much plastic. Yeah, and it's not. I feel like it's going to be around for thousands. Of I thousands know, of years. and I feel like mm-hmm. even if you can make one small change at a time, whatever it is, yes. it's still better than just doing nothing and assuming that someone else will take care of the problem. I agree with you certainly. And when you think about, as they're saying, the what we're doing here, we in the United States have already created so much um, harm mm-hmm. to the environment. But when we look at the developing countries or the countries which have different kinds of, of systems of economies than we do and ways of life, China, India, Kenya, South Africa, all these countries, um, Africa is a continent with the youngest population, right? Mm-hmm. And it's growing fastest. And they are, they're going to be spinning off their own, you know, sort of the path that we took. If they take the same path, that we took, that's not a good thing. Yeah. That's going to be um, disastrous. So we're, uh, you know, there's so much to be done and so much that's happening that we need to focus on yeah. in terms of the, the planet surviving and thriving in the way. That's why, I mean, you know, conversations so like this and education yes. is so important just because it's something that people, you know, don't often spend time thinking about and you don't have to spend a ton of time thinking about it to actually right. feel the impact or make even just a few small little small changes. Tweaks. Yeah, Right. And I think about what you're saying and think about, well, if the food is something that is closer to nature where it was produced and therefore it's healthier for us therefore it doesn't need packaging it's less likely to need packaging that supports that you know longevity so it's all of a piece yes you know and it's kind of going back to you made me think of that when we're talking about our grandparents and the bone soup and so on is going back to the brown paper bag yep maybe that was one of the best packages (laughs) that's true (laughs) That's totally true. And we did so much to get rid of that. Yeah. Like, but it, it's all it's all coming back. It's coming full and, circle. Yes. And I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing, you know, becoming an enthusiast <laughs> and evangelist for taking care of ourselves, which of course obviously means taking care of the planet and also giving us all this information on wonderful journey of entrepreneurship that you've taken. And, and and you know what I'm just thinking too. There's another way you were disruptive, Erica, is also thinking about the sustainability and the health. Uh, thank goodness now sustainability is also one of the big trends, right? And thinking about when you are, um, when you're making a business, to think about how it's gonna, what the social impact is that mm-hmm. it's gonna have. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful to talk to you about so many levels <laughs> where we sort of started in one place yeah uh yeah we would love Thank for you, you to come back i would love to come too, back because there's so many things i we know talk about this is so you. great i'm so excited great. for you thank you thank you erica huss everybody has taught us how to slay in so many ways how she slayed how she's slaying now and how we can slay too and the most important thing being because we did address so many different things on her journey is really just taking care of yourself and slaying in the self-care. Yes, 100%. You can download How to Slay, a Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and of course, on Spotify.
Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Arobay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de $25 al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com para detalles. No hay nada como una bebida bien fría de McDonald's luego de un largo día. Porque después de pasar horas manteniendo todo bajo control, te mereces un premio por tus esfuerzos. Y si ese premio viene helado, es aún mejor. Hay bebidas. Y hay bebidas de McDonald's. Ponle sabor a tu día. Tu Sweet Tea, Sweet Tea Lemonade o Lemonade favorito está a solo 1.49 en cualquier tamaño. Precio y participación pueden variar. No puede ser combinada con ninguna otra oferta. Para, pa, pa, pa. Este abril te invitamos a nuestra feria virtual Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad. Conéctate virtualmente con representantes de colegios y universidades en la costa este. Desde Nueva York a Florida, aprende sobre ayuda financiera, becas y otros recursos para continuar tu educación. Regístrate para asistir y para la oportunidad de ganar una tableta. Te esperamos en Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad del 3 al 9 de abril. Regístrate ya en univision.com diagonal universidad. 